This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. There is an enormous amount of rejection. There's an enormous amount of people uh, telling you what to do and how to do it and that you're wrong or not liking you when you put yourself out there. And I have to say that it was like a calling. It was a calling for me. And and growing up, I had always, I had always wanted to speak out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where East Meets West, a special collaboration between America Meditating Radio and Epilogue. This is all about bridging any divide. This is about bringing some of the most prolific, profound Indian voices and to hear how best we have been able to look at an Eastern and a Western perspective to make the world a better place. I'm so excited about this particular program because it's about my life too. I'm half Eastern, I'm half Western, and I'm raised in the USA, and I'm curious about seeing what are the things that we can learn more from each other. Today, I have a really special guest, comedian Vijay Nathan, and let me tell a little bit about Vijay. She's a comedian, storyteller, writer, trainer, entertaining people across America and internationally too. Vijay's stories have been featured on NPR Snap Judgment and Invisible Lives. She's also a contributing writer to the Washington Post magazine's Date Lab. She is an honor of being one of the few South Asian artists to be invited to perform at the John F. Kennedy Center, Smithsonian, Library of Congress, and Constitution Hall right here in the nation's capital. She's also the writer and performer of a one-woman show such as Good Girls Don't But Indian Girls Do, and Mac Goddesses, and Big Macs, Karma and the American Dream. We're going to get together and talk about family, about being a stepmom, about having an interracial relationship, about really, you know, working through all the old traditional ways of being and still being you. We're going to talk about life. So stay tuned and don't touch that dial. Vijay, um, you and I go way back and I am so happy that you can join me on Where East Meets West. Thank you, thank you, thank you and warm, warm welcome. Now, thank you. It's my pleasure. We haven't seen each other for a long time, and I want to catch up because so much happens in our lives on a day-to-day basis. So how are you coping with the pandemic? I mean, have you found any humor in this at all? Oh, have I found humor in this? Um, it is It is hard. It is incredibly hard uh, just be, for the length of the pandemic. (laughs) We're coming up on a year uh, pretty soon. And um, and we have had one of the most and I mean, in my lifetime, most difficult uh, presidential elections and the trauma of that and race relations and the Capitol riots and all that stuff. It's been it's been hard. I think that at times what has made it easier is um i have i have a partner and um he has three kids from uh his previous marriage and the kids have helped me probably find humor at times helped me try not to focus uh because i've had to be strong for them 
uh, had to be strong for what everything that they're going through and telling them they're going to be okay. And so I think that, yeah, that humor can come from the kids <laughs> a lot of the times. It's so unusual. Um, in our Indian culture, it's very rare that a woman, you know, goes into a relationship with a man that has three kids. And when we met, you were telling jokes about your dad and your mom wanting to arrange a marriage for you, get you married. And you're like, it's not happening. I'm not able to really find that perfect partner yet. And for Indians, especially in the West, uh, things are different the way they see life than how it was in the old school back in India where divorce isn't even an option. Now it is a lot. Um, a man having three children and a woman saying, I can handle this, and she's Indian, um, not usually an option, but it is now. That all of those um, trappings or those boundaries or walls that we've had surrounding our culture for so long are falling away. So how has it been for you and what are some of the conversations that come up between you and some of your peers of the Indian origin when they go, Vijay, you're with this guy, the three kids. <laughs> you know, I think that I haven't had a pushback or anything like that. I think that my friends who have children and my sisters who have children are like, are you crazy? <laughs> You're taking on three kids. Like it was, I was an instant, uh, stepmom, uh, and, uh, trying to navigate all of that has been really difficult because I want to be fun. And uh, it took me a long time to become a parent and even it, maybe I'm still sort of not a parent in some ways because, I hate not being fun and not and I hate not saying yes. <laughs> so I think that's the hardest part about when I when I've had to say no, when I've had to when I've had to have them say, you know, when I've when I've had to be like, yeah, it's okay that you don't like me right now. That's that then I'm like, okay, I guess I'm I guess I'm kind of a parent now that I'm okay with the fact that they're going to hate me like half the time. Motherhood, um, right? Or parenting. It is like that. How do you strike the balance between being a friend and yet being an authority that says, I want to help you. I want to I want to nurture you until you can go out and be free to fly. I mean, what has been the, has there been like a moment in your life where you felt like, what have I done? I mean, I can't be a mom for anyone, much less am I even a mom for myself? Because is there something that we miss when we actually don't physically give birth and go through that nine month period of like something is growing inside of me? How do I handle it? I mean, I don't have any children. So FYI, I, I don't know what kind of a parent I would be. But um, were there ever any moments like that for you? Well, you do have a puppy. So, right. <laughs> so you are a, a dog mom. Um, but oh my God, you asked, you, you were like in my brain for, for when you were talking about all that stuff just a second ago. And you asked so many questions, um, or posed so many questions or thoughts. Um, I think that I think that what's really hard is I'm going to approach this from a couple of different directions. One direction is I think that a lot of my friends um, and some family who have their own kids and have kids think that 
why are you taking on someone else's kids? Like, why are you taking that on? And, and, and they don't understand that I love them. Like that I spend so much, like, I mean, they understand that I love them, but kind of like, I don't know, like you love a friend or something like that. I think that a lot of people think that you can't have this bond when you don't give birth to the kids. And, and I question that all the time. Like I question, like when they annoy me, I'm like, maybe, maybe if I had given birth to them, this wouldn't bother me, but I've found out that no, <laughs> it will bother you whether you give birth to them or not. I'm like, am I, am I less patient? Because I, because I, um, I don't recognize, you know, maybe all of their, their personality traits or things like that um, as somehow or, or reflection or coming from me or from, from my partner. Um, but I think that, I think that like really what it comes down to is that you love them. You manage and you manage. Well, you love them. Yeah. You can't, you, it, and, and that's like, you know, you know, I mean, I, sometimes I think I'm like, you know, cause I am the youngest of three girls and I definitely, uh, you know, have this relationship with my mom where I know that, uh, I'm always going to be around for her. I'm always going to take care of her. And, um, and, and I don't know that these kids are going to feel that way about me because I'm not their birth mother. Um, and their mother is very much in the picture and very much does not like <laughs> the fact that, uh, you know, maybe that her ex has somebody else. I think that that's a very difficult place to be, um, for both sides. For any woman, for any woman. Yes. I mean, it's, it's sharing your children and you're like, are you ready for that? You know, something I've always wondered, Vijay, is how, when a couple get divorced and they do have children and they have to share the children with each other that when those kids come in front of you there is so much love for the child but you can also see your spouse in that child how do they manage that and i think that might be a show i need to have in the future but i've often thought what an interesting place to be in that when you do see your child you know that looks so much like your ex ex partner your ex spouse mm -hmm. that you find love in that and why couldn't you find love with the partner you know when you were together well on the flip side of that you all you can also find a lot of uh frustration <laughs> and and you know like you know the things that maybe the kid is exhibiting that is like maybe part of what was the contentious issue with your partner or with your your former spouse is like flaring up and that would be more, much more for my partner to speak about but in that sense but but i think that for me what's actually interesting is to be a parent or in a parental role and and sort of like not have any of that in my mind not have any there's something maybe good and bad about having not having not having preconceived notions <laughs> i have these three beings that i am trying to figure out and i have no history of 
of them. Like they came into now they've known me for about five years now, but when I came into their lives, they, it was, there are three kids. The youngest was uh, four. Uh, the middle was uh, eight and the oldest was 12. So now I'm, you know, going through a uh, oh, teenager with the oldest. Uh, the middle one is, I guess, you know, the in puberty. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the youngest is um, asking a lot of questions and way too mature for her for her age, for her little brain. That age. <laughs> I pray for you. I'll tell you, especially with that teenage um, part, it's such a different time. And I don't even know if any parent is prepared or step parent or whatever you want to call yourself for the kids of these times because they're raised on social media. And that's something that we had to acclimate ourselves to, but they're born in it, you know, and that's all that they know. I want to talk about Shadi, you know, marriage. 90% of Bollywood movies are about Shadi getting married. And you come from a very traditional Hindu family. And you are sharing your love with a partner with three children and you're not legally or officially married. But yet, I mean, trust me, I'm with you on this. I'm okay with all those non-contractual agreements, right? That, yes, you are married, but it's just not on a legal paper. But however, in Indian culture where shadi is such a big thing and then families come together and families decide who they like, who they don't like, is this person suitable for my child? How is that with your family being like traditional Hindus? How have they learned and what have you observed as their adjustment? I mean... Traditional, I mean, I think they started out that way. My parents came to America in 1970 and, you know, my mom is, is very, very Hindu still is. My dad was an atheist or agnostic, depending on the day. And so I think that when you come to this country and, and I was also born here, my two older sisters were born in India, but though they raised us to be Indian and like very culturally Indian and also don't be American, be, meaning uh, don't think that you have any rights <laughs> or, that, or don't talk back. You're being American if you, you know, if you talk back to us. Um, so um, I, I think that, you know, like life happens. I think that, that, if you are a parent and I'm talking about my parents, my father has passed away, but if you're a parent that wants to be a part of your adult children's lives and you see them happy and see them in pain, I think that you just sort of got to go with it. I mean, I am, uh, I'm 49. I know I still, I still look pretty good. It's, uh, you know, all the, all the brownness, but um, I still hate it if anybody calls me auntie, but plenty of people call me auntie. And that is very disconcerting because I don't feel like I am grown up enough to be auntie. But as my sister points out, I am old enough to be a grandma for some, (laughs) for some kids. Um, but I think that like, I mean, okay, let me, let me go back to the beginning when I was, when I started dating my partner now, um, this was six years ago and, uh, and you know, like 
I would, so, so I'm in my early forties, you know, and, um, and I was uh, taking care of my mom. So I was living with her and taking care of her at the time. And I would have to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stay out late. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm 43. Why am I pretending that I'm going to go to the library to study when I'm dating this guy? And, you know, maybe that was more for me than even for her. You know, because I, I think that she was like probably like uh, 43 years old, you know, uh, are you going to find someone? Are you going to, you know, and she's she's pretty cool with it. I'll tell you this. I'm over 55 and I still have to tell my mother where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something, and I know a lot of our American friends and stuff, and they're like, why do you have to do this with your parents? So why do you have to be like that? And it's just what we know, despite whatever we go through. There's something that I've been um, experiencing with a lot of folks that come to me for counseling. There are a lot of people in India or even outside of India, they have fallen in love with someone, but the parents wants them to marry someone else. And they have been perhaps in these long-term relationships, Vijay, for like five, six years. And they kind of concealed the relationship from the parents that there was love or there is intimacy between the both of them. And they might not have like the same financial kind of position as another person, or they might not be from the same caste systems. And there are a lot of people struggling and wondering what to do. Do I decide to go the old way and let my parents choose the spouse for me? Or do I go with my heart, with what I love? Because you know what Shadi is like in India, you know? So what would you recommend a woman or a, or a man in that position? <laughs> well, again, I am very, I will say that I, I am pretty far removed from the way marriage is in India, because I think that my parents raised me with this, with what they were raised with. So it might have been the 1970s and 80s in America, but my mom is like thinking 1950s India, which is how she, when, how she was raised. So I was actually raised very conservatively, a lot more conservatively in America than my cousins were in India. They had a lot more freedom growing up in India than I did, not necessarily to to date and and things like that but just general freedoms of of just like you know going out and stuff so i think that you know i mean i i think that if you are in a relationship where you have been with someone a long time and this is someone that you love and that you're it, 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 there's so many different issues like you're kind of dis, you're you're doing a disservice to yourself to the person that you might marry instead <laughs> if you can't if you can't give them your whole heart um but i think that being being honest and that's not always easy and i don't i i'm not sure what it would be like if in India right now. I mean, I'm hoping things are, uh, have moved forward. I know that, that, um, you know, my cousins who have gotten, you know, arranged marriages were, it was more like, 
oh, you know, my parents, they, they talked about it and they agreed to let us see each other. You know, I don't know if you would go so far as saying that it was dating, but it wasn't like how my, my mom and dad got an arranged marriage. And it was like, Hey, you're marrying this guy. And so she was like, okay. Like, (laughs) or he came and saw her and was like, all right, she's good. You know, let's do this. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's a rough call. It's an individual one, isn't it? But it's so hard because you want to please your family. You don't want to end up having a marriage and you know, your parents are standing there like, You know, it's so hard because there's so much emotions and energy and tradition. And what will what will the family, what will others say that, you know, you're marrying somebody out of your caste or a lower economic bracket than you? Or maybe they're not good looking or their skin is dark. And anyway, long story short, Om Shanti to all of that is what I tell them. Like, come on, just like what you said. I think dark skin is hot. I know. And I'm, I'm dating a white guy. So, but like, if I had my pick, you know, my sisters and I were both like, we like dark skinned men. Um, Chocolate color. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because if you watch some of those Bollywood movies, they make all the bad person, like they put all the thugs and stuff with dark skin. And I say, you know what, they should revolt in Hollywood and Bollywood about all of this. This is ridiculous that they're still doing that. Anyway, I don't want them to cancel the show as it gets started, so let us move on. (laughs) I was remembering one of the jokes that you gave in one of our programs, and to this day, I still talk about it in some of my talks, was the one about you inviting a lot of your American friends to an Indian wedding. And since we're talking about relationship and couple and marriages and stuff, do you remember that one where you took your friends to India and they were like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Yes, yes, I do. Of course, I remember that joke because it is so, uh, it is so every white person at an Indian wedding where, so would you like me to do the joke? Okay. So, uh, you know, it's like, you know, when you take, when you have a white person at an Indian wedding, they're like, oh my God, what an amazing cultural experience. The colors, it's all so beautiful. And then three hours later, they're like, when is this going to end? God, please, when? So, yeah, that is. It cracks me up because when you do the joke, you actually do it where it goes like four or five days later. So they're like in torture, uh-huh. like five, six days later, like, Vijay, when is this going to be ending? You know, so it just cracks me up. You know, a lot of folks aren't aware of the depths of your intelligence, you know, from a journalist and working with the Baltimore Sun and then to go out on a stage and show yourself, show your private thoughts, show, show the stuff that goes on in your mind that you might think, oh my God, if the world found out about this, they'd lock me up. But you do, you go out, you go on those stage, you are one of the top leading Indian women, brown skin, beautifully brown skin, (laughs) comedians out there. And it's such a challenging, challenging field, but yet you've made a mark. What was it that made you shift into comedy and, and, and how is it working for you now, especially as we're enduring more time of the pandemic? I think that, you know, it's going to sound uh, weird, maybe, but it's because comedy, being a performer, 
is not something that anyone should get into lightly because there is an enormous amount of rejection. There's an enormous amount of people uh, telling you what to do and how to do it and that you're wrong or not liking you when you put yourself out there. And I have to say that it was like a calling. It was a calling for me. And, and growing up, I had always... I had always wanted to speak out. I had always wanted to, and and I think that throughout my life, I learned that I could be funny and that would sort of help me break the ice a little bit because I grew up in, you know, in Maryland, in America, in uh, the 1970s and 80s. And it was not like a it was not a society that knew a lot about Indians and knew what Indians were or, or, you know, knew anything about Bollywood or, or, you know, you seeing all these um, people, you know, white people who are into yoga and, and wearing bindis and being like, Woo, you know, like all this stuff. Being Indian wasn't beautiful back then. It wasn't something that was like, uh, oh, to be celebrated the way, I think that it is more so for for my nieces and nephews now where their their skin color is beautiful or when they are wearing a bindi or something it's it's like oh that's interesting people want to understand the culture that is not what I grew up with and while I was born in this country I there was this you know this the struggle with the whole thing of you know my parents were like you are indian you are not american you are an Indian at all times and you must be, you know, um, obedient. You must have long hair. You must always respect your parents um, and you must never talk back. And um, and then there was on the other side, when I would go to school, people would say, yeah, you're a foreigner. You are a foreigner. You are not, uh, you know, you are not white. You're not black. You are from another country. You look weird. You look different. And so I had, you know, my parents saying like, you are Indian. And then, and then at school, the, the, you know, the rest of the world saw me as a foreigner. And then I was in, but I was born in this country and I was learning like, oh, you know, when you're an American, you have rights and, and (laughs) you, uh, and being an American citizen means something and it means you, um, belong. And that was a struggle. That was like, where did I belong? Because there are two different forces saying the most important forces around me that I belong in one group or and don't belong in another. Um, so I think that eventually comedy was the way that I saw as a way to talk about the things that racism. I was going through. Well, talk, talk about racism. I mean, when I first started doing comedy. I mean, I grew up also in the, you know, in, in the eighties and with, with the big boom of comedy. So I watched, um, I loved, um, Eddie Murphy. I loved Eddie Murphy and, uh, and I would watch him talk about Burnett and, oh, well, of course, Carol Burnett, Carol Burnett, but, 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 um, but Carol Burnett was like sketch, right. And hers was the Carol Burnett show. And I, and I did love it. But Eddie Murphy, when I saw him performing stand up on stage, like in a in a video VCR video, um, um, 
and he was black and he was talking about growing up poor and um, he was talking about his family and he was making it funny and he was making really hard things funny. And uh, and I was this chunky kid growing up in in Maryland and I saw myself in him and and that's what sort of gave me this aha moment where I felt like I was always on the outside looking in. But comedy, maybe comedy is that bridge that would be many, many years later before I attempted to realize that desire that, you know, what that calling was. I, f- I fought it for for a long time. And um, and I think that, like, you know, I was I was in this was in 97. I was engaged. I was engaged to um, a white guy, um, but he was, you know, my parents loved him. He was, uh, you know, he was a great guy. I had, you know, and I so he was a lovely man. I had a good job. I was working at the sun, but it was like all these things, these technical things felt like they were going right in my life. And I'd never been more miserable in my life. And, um, and that's when I like, I just was like, I need to do something for myself. And I don't know why, but I took a comedy class and I mean, I probably do know why, but, (laughs) but that was sort of the thing that that lifeline that gave me this space. That opening. Yeah. You know, I've been talking to a lot of people and, Right now, depression is really high. Um, Divorce rates are high. Domestic abuse is high. Also, people awakening, that's getting high as well. People, it sounds like a lot of people getting high, huh? But uh, (laughs) the point that I'm making is that there, there just seems to be a deep need for us to do something internally. I can't tell you how many folks, externally, everything is perfect, but internally, I don't know what it is. There's a hole, there's a void, there's something missing. There's something I'm supposed to be doing or feeling, and we don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And, and laughter and smiles, I've noticed it has no hierarchy. You know, you can have a racist in a room and you make a joke and they both laugh and look at each other and forgot that they hated each other's color or religion. Like I've seen how laughter heals and brings people together, sort of like sports. And so when you're looking at this incredible, incredible career that has been thrusted upon you as a call, Where does Vijay Nathan see herself in the next five years where her career is concerned? She's now a stepmom. She's got three beautiful kids. They're going into their teenage years. Her partner loves her. She's got beautiful brown skin, great hair, which I, <laughs> I wish I had some of that. And it's like, where does she see herself in five years' time, especially with everything that she's learning now? I desperately hope that it is uh, somewhere where uh, without a mask all the time. That's one thing. But I think, you know, I I feel like I'm in this, you know, the pandemic and this probably is happening for a lot of people has forced me into a transition. And it's not just the pandemic. It's everything that has been going on. It is um, it is George Floyd. It is a Black Lives Matter movement. It is the Capitol riots. 
and I'll, you know, like uh, the, my, the, the work that I'm, that I'm doing right now is more around race than, than it has been before. Whereas a lot of my earlier, like I'll say, okay, so when I first started to do stand up, my whole thing was, well, I'm just going to prove that Indians are Americans. Like that's, that was my intention. And that like, even though I'm Brown, I'm just like you. And so I wrote a lot of jokes that were like about all these boyfriends I had was not true because I grew up as a very repressed Hindu uh, kid, a child of immigrants. So like the beginning of my standup, they were technically funny jokes. They were, you know, got people to laugh, but they were not, they weren't based in truth. And then it took me probably like two years or so uh, to kind of realize, you know, that like I needed to really speak about what, was real like my my family my parents my parents being very um you know uh uh strict and and hindu and you know and whatever whatever it was but that um you know finding out what's universal between uh me and my audience was the way that I was going to find a connection. So so I shifted there and then I started to really explore what it means to be an Indian American and bringing my family into my comedy and and really my own experience, my own real terrible dating experience um cuz you know when I first started I was young and now that I'm older I've had all that stuff. Um <laughs> but um and now I think that it's I'm, I find myself at a crossroads because when I would tell jokes before it was this idea of um, and I would talk about race and I kind of had this idea of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, which is a sense of like, OK, you know, let me bring up this topic that's a hard topic and I'll make it funny and so that it's consumable. And that was okay. And, and it's still, and that's still okay. But now I'm really reflecting on maybe I don't make it so easy to swallow because, because it's so difficult to what, what I'm, what we're facing right now. And I think that, you know, uh, I think that that is really something that's that's why comedy is hard right now it's very very hard i mean the issues that we've got in the united states are serious issues i'm not saying india doesn't have its own too it's just that these are really serious issues from kids being locked up in cages and being separated from their parents to you know immigrants being trying to be pushed out of the story of a country in which they built this country up on. Um, how does a comedian find that? And I know that you connect with your audience with storytelling. And I'd love if you could tell us some stories, tell us some stories about what it really means to be an Indian American. And, you know, what what is the meaning of that? And um, give me some give me some insights and um, make me gain some more wrinkles with laughter. Because <laughs> 
before before I go there, one thing that um, that a lot of people don't know about me and or my family is that um, my grandfather was um, Ramalingam Kavangar Pillay. So, and he was um, a free, freedom fighter. He was a Gandhian poet. He is the oh, a poet laureate from Tamil Nadu, and so is my mother's father. And and I have this amazing heritage that I didn't really fully start to understand until the the things that are going on right now, until this, um, until George Floyd, until um, I also saw, you know, like I was just like, you know, it, it, it was um, it was at the beginning of the pandemic and I was at Safeway and there was nobody at the Safeway. And this was, the, you know, they and they had just put down the arrows where you're supposed to go down an aisle in the certain direction. And for some reason at my Safeway, they made two arrows going the, the same way. So instead of snaking around, it would be like two arrows would be going the same way. So I. So I went into my Safeway and I went, then I went down the aisle and, and, and I'm going down the aisle and I see this woman coming the, the other way. And she is a white woman and, and we are really far apart from each other, but I can feel her anger and disgust from so far away. And it is, and it is a very familiar feeling and so I kind of and I as I was like and she wasn't moving, she was not going to she was just standing there so that and as I passed by her to to go to the next aisle, she she was like, um, you're going the wrong way. Don't you see the air? You're you're going the wrong way. And she was so, you know, disgusted with me. And, um, and then I went through the rest of the Safeway and I felt really bad. I felt, I was like, oh my God, you know? And, and then I was like telling, I was telling other people of color. I was, if they were going the wrong way, I'm like, Hey, cause there's nobody at the Safeway. It's wide. It's not like a, it's not like a supermarket in New York where there's like one person level through there. This is wide. And, and so I would tell other people of color, like, I'd be like, Hey, I'm not mad or anything. I'm just letting you know that you're going down the wrong way. Cause they just put these arrows in. And, and so just like, just letting you know, and they probably thought I was crazy, but I didn't, you know, want them to get in trouble. But what was interesting is I didn't say that to any of the white people that I saw doing this. And that said something to me about, about white privilege, about my complicity in white privilege. And also I'm like, okay, my grandfather, he went on the, he was on the salt march. He, they sang his song when they were going to the, uh, like on the way to the beach, uh, they were singing his poems and, um, and I'm thinking, and he went to jail. He was in jail for a year. And I'm like, he's probably like, you know, grow a pair. <laughs> no, I guess she wouldn't say that. <laughs> I mean, my grandfather was very learned. He wouldn't say something like that. But I mean, I just, I, it started to really hit me more that, um, that I need to do something. I need to, 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 to do something about this with, whether it's just, you know, talking about 
race and these issues and making it so that we um, as a community and as a country are talking about it as opposed to um, as opposed to just sort of saying it's there, but but not really saying it's saying bad. It. Yes, <laughs> yes. We've been looking at unconscious biases uh, amongst ourselves and how, you know, the, the fact that you saw it, but you could feel that contempt from her. Um, you know, that shifted you and it impacts you because we're carrying this energy that if you're brown, you know, you got to kind of, you know, play down. And nobody actually told us to do that. But the systems are created in such a way that if I don't work 10 times harder than the other guy, then I don't really see the light of day, you know. And in India, it's the caste system, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas individuals at certain caste systems are just not allowed to be in certain spaces with you. And that's a big thing. You come to America and you don't have a caste system, but you have a different understanding of things here. Um, and, and, and it can be tough. It can be tough. Yes, it's. I just think that like it's like now that you see it's, it's so hard It's sort of like now that I see all these things, I can't unsee them and you can't not say something or do something. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's really what I want to focus on is just being like, like, so the, the new show that I'm working on is called I'm not racist, but, and it's, a, it's about just saying like, okay, you know, everyone has bias. Everyone let's, let's just say bias. If you don't want to say race racist, but we all have that stuff and we have to acknowledge that we have it, see that we have it so that we can actually do something about it. Because when there's so many people who pretend that they're not and um, just pretend it's not there. And that is, that is what's so hard is that it, the hardest part is when people think that, you know, a, a person of color is, well, you're crazy that, that, you know, if you think someone's being racist and, and that's that thing of like, you know, you no, know, I feel it. I know it. And it and it is completely something that, you know, my partner who is a white man, he will never see or feel. Um, and it's but, but maybe he does now. Maybe he does now, because let's say if he goes to an Indian program mm -hmm. and he walks into the room with you and God forbid he's got the three kids and everybody <laughs> looks at him like, hmm. You know, he gets a feeling of like being judged or being like put aside, like, well, what are you doing? I mean, you know, and, and I think that even folks in Caucasian bodies, they are also beginning to see things that they've been missing. And maybe that's the justice uh, um, of it all in the universe, that we're actually all being given an opportunity to turn this whole thing around and bridge whatever divides we have inside of ourselves, you know, that we bring forth in our relationships, in our communities, in our world, you know, so I think mm -hmm. it's a good time. So as I do my spiritual rapid fire with you, I'll bring up, I'll bring forth one word. And all I'm going to ask you to do is to tell me what's the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Okay. God. Oh, family. <laughs> Soul. My grandma. America. Freedom. Freedom. Still. India. <laughs> India. I, 
I have to say motherland, even, even though I was not born there. Biggest dream. I think, oh, this is hard. This is a hard one. Was love. I wanted to be full of so much love that everything in my life just works so beautifully. I think you know, on that side, I think that it would be to live without fear. And I think that fear is such a exhausting daily part of, of what we're in right now. I'm, it's so tiring and I can't wait for, to get on the other side of that. Be fearless, fearless. That's perfect. Vijay Nathan, thank you so much for being so open, so authentic. This is you. You're always authentically you. Um, and for helping us to recognize that love doesn't need a particular color, race, or a particular marriage contract, but also how sometimes we need to listen to our calls and travel to them, even if it's completely opposite than what we were preparing ourselves for in life. So... Congratulations for you for taking that huge leap of faith and leave us with one more moment to laugh and enjoy our lives. Oh my gosh. Actually, oh. you never told me the answer to my question about what was your definition of an Indian American and how you were doing that with humor to share that. I think that it's so unique in, 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 in some ways, so individual, I think that I know what it's not. It isn't, it is not ABCD, like that whole American born confused. They see it isn't that, you know? And I think that, um, I mean, definitely a lot of confusion, <laughs> um, definitely, but it is trying to create this identity where you can, where you can be in America and speak up for your own rights and your own needs as an American. Um, and also how do I keep the values of, you know, my, and, and it's not like you can't be American and Indian. I think that that was the struggle is being like, how, how do I be both? And, um, keeping your culture and keeping, you know, your values, um, and just, and speaking up, I think sort of like growing up, there was always this feeling of like, you know, don't don't rock the boat. If somebody is terrible to you, don't say anything back. And, it, and it's a default. I don't know if it's because um, it's an immigrant mentality. It's not like, as you said earlier, it's not something that we were you, that you're ex explicitly told to do. But there's just this feeling like if I speak up, something worse can happen. And. So and that has changed. I'm glad that we're speaking. Of yes. That. Yes. And, that, and I'm not telling, saying anything funny, am I? You're very, you're like, oh gosh, I wish you would be funnier. Um, okay. <laughs> what? Okay. You tell me, what do you want to hear? Is this how you should do? You, you tell um, me no, what you want to hear. I'm, I'm okay. I think, you know, we have spoken at such a beautiful place anyway. And I know you must get so many times you're with your friends and family. They're like, come on, Vijay, make us laugh. You must get it all the time. And you're like, well, you make me laugh now. Oh, I do this for a living. I just want to be with you guys. So you don't have to. No, 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 no. I'm happy to. I'm I'm happy to. It's just sort of like I really haven't um, I haven't the thought about it. So um, 
I can do a joke about uh, goddesses if you would like. Would you like one of yeah, those? Let's go for it. Let's okay, go for it. Okay. This is a, this is a uh, you know, as they say, this is a vegetarian. It's not a non-veg joke. It's a vegetarian. So, um, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, um, you know, my mother would always make me pray to the goddesses. She would say, you know, um, Vijay, you have to pray to um, goddess Saraswati, the goddess of learning, so that, uh, you know, you will get good grades and you'll get a good husband. And you have to pray to Parvati that you're a good wife uh, to your husband. And you have to pray to Goddess Lakshmi that you get a good, successful and wealthy husband. And I said, well, what if I don't want a husband? And she was like, hmm, okay, you better pray to Shiva that I don't kill you. So... I was expecting something like that. That's what I love. You just make me laugh. You crack me up. (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting. Um, Thank you, Vijay Nathan. Thank you for, again, just being yourself and bringing the best of you in everything that you do. And lots of blessings to you and your partner and your three little angels that are growing (laughs) under your wings, that are growing under your wings. And I'm sure as they get older, they will look back and recognize what a gift that must have been, that is, you know, to have had a mother that comes with such heritage and such culture. So thank you so much. Lots of love. Hope to see you soon when the pandemic is over to be continued. Yes, thank you. All right. So everyone, I hope you've enjoyed our time with comedian, storyteller, writer, author, stepmom, Vijay Nathan. And for more information, you can just look for her website right underneath here and let her know that you heard about it from where East meets West. If you like the show, feel free to drop us a message, like, subscribe to all the things that they tell you you're supposed to do to keep up with us, but it's okay. We're just glad that you took the time to just come together with us and learn more about yourselves and about each other. Take care. Om Shanti. All the best.